show. We are on the air. We are here in Sturgis, South Dakota. Pappy Hoyle Campground, full throttle off in the distance. A lot of activity today and really all throughout the rest of the week. We're on the air out, air out here again tomorrow and then off on Thursday and Friday. But uh, it's busy out here. Big time busy out here. Roquan Smith of the Chicago Bears put out a statement basically saying, look, I love the Bears. I love everything about this place, but uh, they're not dealing with me in good faith, and they keep giving me take-it-or-leave-it deals, so I'm going to leave it, and I want out. So I mean, he's requesting a trade, and he was very honest about it. So, Ben, when you read, did you read all of that? Did you read the statement, by the way? Yep. Did you appreciate it? I mean, yeah, I did. It's I. It's one of those situations where they're a horribly run franchise, at least at this point. They're not helping their quarterback. I I tend to take his side because we've seen the history, right, of, of how right. their front office has managed the team. So I appreciated that he put it out there because usually if you just see a player wants a trade, it could be so many different things. So him at least going slightly directly through Ian Rappaport to the people, I liked I like the fact that he put it out himself. And now, I don't know if he wrote it, uh, but if you know, if you've ever met Roquan Smith and talked to him and listened to him, he's actually a pretty smart guy. This sounds like something he – this sounds like there's feeling in it, not just a PR statement. I mean, I could be wrong. Who knows? But it sounds like he's, you know, he's putting his heart and soul into this thing saying, hey, look, I hope you understand this. But I don't want to be here. They don't want to talk to me. Uh, they're not dealing with me. I, I'm at my wit's end, so I'm just requesting a trade. And I think you deserve an explanation as to why. I, I think it's a brilliant move. It's very genuine. It's very honest. Um, obviously, we take a little bit of a smile to it because it affects the Bears in a very negative light. And anytime that happens, we, we tend to enjoy it as Packers fans. But, uh, but yeah, I think... Um, to say I wanted to be a bear for my entire career and to say, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to the McCaskey family. Maybe they can salvage this. That's kind of a backhanded plea to say, hey, if you want to keep me around, maybe you should come down out of the ivory tower and make this happen. But beyond that, you know, no, it's it's pretty much a done deal where Roquan Smith just doesn't want to be there anymore. So they don't have uh, they don't have harmony right now, if you will, down in Chicago. And they're still trying to the piece North together. Give it back. There you go. I don't know how they're going to do it, but okay. Take that north. Take it. Maybe just the word the north, but beyond that, I don't think you're going to win the division anytime soon. Uh, And we already stated that uh, the argument was to be made. They ranked the offensive line of the Chicago Bears 32nd. And when the question popped up that said, why did you rank them 32nd? You know, what, what put them down there so far? Uh, and the answer was, well, because there's only 32 teams and we couldn't make them 33rd, which also made me smile a little bit. But Roquan Smith demanding a trade uh, from the Chicago Bears. Uh, I had a question here. <coughs> Excuse me. More of a statement, actually, from Casey. He said, the Big Ten loaded in overhype. They are still light years behind the SEC. Uh, they're better than the other conferences, so it's not terrible, but I'm sick of the Big Ten. Uh, so good as they hit competition, they get to destroyed. Uh, or they're so good, and then they hit competition, and then they get destroyed. Earn it, then pat yourself on the back. First of all, 
Um, they're only patting themselves on the back, not because they want anything, but because they're getting paid. So there's a difference. Nobody's claiming that they're the champions. What they're claiming is is that we've got $1.25 billion, and they have the right to do that. But secondly, when you look at the history, uh, the SEC is a, it's a really staunch conference. So is the Big Ten. But both conferences are loaded at the top. You know, if you take away Ohio State, you take away Alabama, things really begin to kind of even out. So you can say as much as you want about SEC and Big Ten and start to argue on both sides, but in the grand scheme of things, when you look at this, the SEC holds an 89-62-2 advantage against the Big Ten. Now, in bowl games, the SEC 51-30. and The two most high-profile games the conferences have played were back 2006-2007, really, in the national championship game. Ohio State uh, took back-to-back blowout losses, Florida State and FSU. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, when you start to look at the SEC and the Big Ten, they, they've, you know, the SEC has been dominated because of Alabama and Nick Saban, and rightfully so. It's a hell of a program, man. A hell of a program. And the Ohio, Ohio State has bolstered and buoyed the, the Big Ten for a long period of time. But you remove those two teams, and things become quite even. So to, to kind of in a backhanded way say that, nah, you're the Big Ten's really not there, no. You're only as good as how deep you are. Remember that. It's not just about the team that wins at the top. It's about the teams that win all the way through the base and the bottom. And uh, they've been pretty good in that sense. 877-867-1670. You can hit us up. This is, uh, John says, as much butt-kissing that the GM in Chicago has gotten, he's been having a miserable start. Upstart staff and players, questionable moves, clearly a lack of trust in the field as well, butt-kissing from the media. I think what they're doing is is they're giving them a great – you can't – argue results because you don't have any they had a a an off season if you will the uh, the bears did of police blotter stuff they had an off season of guys that are not content with being there they've had an off season obviously of change installing a new regime you're gonna that's that's gonna happen i don't knock them for that I really don't. I don't. I don't knock the Bears because they're going through change. It takes a while to make change happen and to instill all of that. When the results begin to become critical, is when you're getting wins and losses, and whether or not they're ugly wins and losses, and the reason you're going through wins and losses. If you're going through wins and losses because the the, the previous regime did not draft enough players, enough help enough quality guys to make you a good football team, well, that's on them. That's not on you. You can only do so much with what you've got to work with, okay? But if you've got a team that's losing games because of stupidity, mental ineptness, what have you, well, then you're looking at, you know, from the top down, from the general manager to the head coach to the assistant coaches, the coordinators, then you're looking at more of a a mental thing, and that falls then on the coaching staff and the front office and all all the above. So I think right now the reason you want to call it butt-kissing, if you will, it's more so that the, the, uh, you don't have the results yet. So all you have to go on is what they've done. It's not necessarily – I mean, this is obviously not a good look for them, for what Roquan, Roquan Smith wants, to say, I want out. They're not dealing in good faith. They're not talking to me. They don't value me. 
which at some point you're you're expecting management. You're going to get some kind of a press conference with the head coach today, tomorrow, what have you, where he's going to have to address that. But now you got to wait for the general manager to, to address it as well because the head coach is going to say, look, I don't get involved in negotiations. I know I value Roquan Smith, and that's the pro- positive, proper thing to say. But the reason they're getting the butt kissing right now is because they don't have results. You know? Uh, 877-867-1670. 877-867-1670. Darren says, last uh, year the Big Ten and SEC were 3-3 against each other in football. So, not destroyed. There you go. Just an FYI. Uh, Since the conference has started, here's the problem. You can go back to when conferences start. Yeah, you can look at that. You can look at the dominance of Bear Bryant. You can look at the dominance of Woody Hayes. You can look at the dominance of Bo Schembechler. You can look at the dominance of Earl Bruce. You can go to Nick Saban. You can look You can look at all the different coaches that have gone through and been top programs. But, again, I don't necessarily look at just the top program. I look at the depth. of con- If you're comparing conferences, otherwise compare teams. Don't be a dumbass. Compare the teams. If you want to say Alabama versus other teams, okay, Nick Saban's been dominant. If you want to look conference to conference, then you then you don't just talk about the championships or about the teams that have won. What you talk about is top to bottom, head to head, what the record is going against one another. The SEC's been more dominant. I'll give you that. But in recent history, it's been more even. Not just the high-profile games, which is what you tend to go to. That's fine if that's what you want to do. But then talk about teams. Don't talk about conferences. You know what I'm saying? 877-867-1670. Hit us up. You feel free to go ahead and do so again. 877-867-1670. This one's from uh, our buddy Mark. Mark says, uh, hey, Bill, great show. Love the views out there in Sturgis. Kind of a little kind of a little cold here back in Milwaukee. He says, uh, what do you think of the Brewers coming up tonight? Do they come out with, a hair, with hair on fire? Or do you think they come out and lay down and the season continues to be frittered away? That's from Mark listening to us in Milwaukee. Um, I got to think, and this is just me, okay? I got to think, you know, baseball is different because baseball, you're only as good as that day starting pitcher. Baseball is not an energizing, unless, of course, you're at, at, you know, you're at the plate, okay? And you got one guy, base knock, another guy, base knock, another guy, home run, and all of a sudden it begins to snowball. Okay, you're getting into the head of the opposing pitcher. You know, you can kind of feel tightness. Okay, that that is an energy side of the game. But in baseball, it's an individual sport. Be, until the ball's put in play, then it becomes a team sport. So it's very hard. You know, like basketball, you can go out and go, let's go. And you can start setting hard picks. You can do certain things. You can do physicality stuff. Same thing in football. There's an energy to it, you know where you just start to feel it. You're going to grind on the guy. You're one opponent across from you. You're going to go kick his ass. That's an energy sport. Baseball's not that. Baseball, you can get momentum and things begin to click and you can start to feel it. And when, you, you know, the, it's, it's something you cannot grasp onto. It's what, you know, sabermetrics people hate. And when you talk about playing in the zone, you know, you start to feel it. And the ball looks a little bigger. It breaks a little slower. It seems to slow down a little bit, you know balls tend to hop your way you know instead of those things that kind of scoot underneath the tip of your glove now they hop up you're getting them you're being able to throw over to first you're creating double plays defensively you're making good moves you're playing smart baseball it just becomes more fundamental 
in that sense. So I'm not going to say that you can take your hair on fire energy for baseball. You know what I mean? That's no. That's no. I, you just hope they get a win. And then when they get a win, you hope that the next day they stack another win on top of that. That's all. You can't, you know, um, baseball's just a different animal. You know, it just is. And I know you can have energy and feel it when teams start to play well. And you can feed off of that a little bit. But for the most part, it's an, it's an individual sport until the ball's put in play. And then, then it becomes the team sport. 877-867-1670. Find us. Love to hear from you. Uh, another one here. This is from Jason. Jason, uh, by the way, Jason listening to us out in Madison and Fitchburg, as a matter of fact. Jason says, uh, hey, Bill, I wanted to ask you about the Big Ten. If they're getting $1.25 um, how much is that going to come down to each team? I, we talked about, well, do the math. If you got 12 teams, it's, uh, you know, $120 million. You know? I have... You know, you got 14 teams, you break it down a little bit less, a little bit less for per team. But, you know, I, I don't know what the actual check is going to be. But uh, it's going to be a lot of money. Going to be up around $100 bucks a team. Not a bad way to go, which is a lot more than a lot of the the, the, the two conferences that are going to be the moneymakers are the SEC and the Big Ten. That's it. And. Now, you know, your follow-up question is, so what What? What portion of that money then gets put aside for stadium renovation, for academics, and for other things within the UW system? I, I don't know how they allocate that money. Now, first of all, when it comes to the athletic side of things, it goes to the athletic department. That That's not academics. What the academics, as far as I understand, I could be wrong on this. Ben, you correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you've done more on this than I have. But when you get that check cut to you from the Big Ten, that goes back to the athletic department, of which then it's reinvested back in to the all the sports, not just football, but all the sports. So the football is the lion's share, but all the sports benefit, whether it's through facilities, uniforms, travel, whatever it happens to be. Whatever it costs you to run your athletic department, that money gets put back into the athletic department, and then additional money gets set aside for future projects. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, right? Yeah, correct. On travel and, you know, stadium renovation, yeah. all that stuff. So, and then you get to go play games and specialty things like the the game at, you know, American Family Field and floors and courts are going to be built for that and traveling over to France for, you know, European, you know, preseason basketball and such. And all of that then be- begins to trickle in as far as what you can do with your athletic department. I don't think any of that money goes to academia the one thing that you can say regarding it to academics is that um it's the recognition the constant the bombardment of wisconsin ohio state michigan michigan state penn state that people are witnessing so prospective students that are sitting in high school that are sitting in grade school they grow up a badger fan living in texas or they grow up a badger fan right here in the backyard Rather than going to Michigan or Ohio State or someplace else, they want to stay in Wisconsin. So that's it's, it's your it's your prevalence that makes people want to go to those particular schools. The more you see them, the more you witness them, the more you understand them, and that then opens up your mind to 
at least entertain the thought of going to that particular school for whatever it is, you know, your field of study would be. I, that's the way I've always understood it. I And, again, I, I could be a little bit off on that, but I, I, I think that uh, that's pretty much the way it is. Uh, let's do this. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. we got a lot more of the Bill Michael Show live out here in Sturgis, South Dakota. We'll be back after Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. We are live. We're in Sturgis, South Dakota. Coming up tomorrow, Bill Davidson, Harley Davidson. Young man under Willie G going to be inducted into the Motorcycle Hall of Fame. Jackal, their 30th anniversary show coming up on Thursday night. Friday night, we're all going to be paying attention to the Packers and the 49ers as uh, they kick off the preseason. Good stuff there. We now uh, go back to Green Bay, and we talk to our friend, uh, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee's on the line. Wayne, how you doing, pal? Good. How you doing, Bill? Where are you at? In Sturgis, South Dakota, where it is 91 degrees and hot, wow. humid. Yeah, wow. for the motorcycle get around. that's out here. It goes from, yeah, it's a sleepy little town of about 3,000 people that turns into 100,000 people in a matter of a week. So kind of crazy out here. But, you know, wow. we know what that's like in Green Bay when you get 100,000 people coming into town to see a, a Packer game for a day. And uh, a lot of uh, talk and excitement and such. But uh, also some confusion regarding the offensive line. Who's going to be playing where? Because they don't really know yet. So let's start there, Wayne. What have you seen that you've liked? And what question marks do you have right now for this offensive line? Well, a lot of question marks. You know, uh, will Bakhtiari be back for the opener? Uh, how, when will Elton Jenkins uh, be back? And if those guys come back, this line has a chance to be really good. But right now you're looking at uh, really Josh Myers at the center position, John Runyon at left guard. Um, you know, uh, I think that Yash Nyman can hold his own at left tackle. And then the rest of it's kind of a mix and match as far as what we've seen, different combinations every day in practice. The uh, the protection on family night, not the best for Aaron Rodgers, uh, but still, you know, being able to wing the ball to Romeo Dubs and making a few plays and turning a few heads. Offensively speaking, look, Wayne, I've said all along, I don't think – the offense is going to be nearly as bad as what some of the national pundits are making it out to be. So give me your synopsis of how you think this offense is going to flow this season. Well, you know what, Bill? I think a lot of it will depend on can the uh, offensive line solidify itself and perform well early in the season. If not, it's going to be tough because they are trying to work new people in the the skill positions. They have the two running backs. uh, They have the quarterback. But, a lot of it is going to depend on how well the offensive line is able to at least hold its own at the line of scrimmage early in the season uh, when maybe the lineup I just gave you is what they have to go to Minnesota with. The uh, the, the wide receiving core, Sammy Watkins, had a few plays, looks okay, but uh, the guy that's opening up all the eyes, Romeo Dubs, I thought he'd be better in the beginning. You and I talked back uh, at the Rice Lake Celebrity Golf Outing and you talked about Christian Watson needing to grow into his body. We haven't been able to see that because he hasn't been able to get on the field, but if if he becomes anything of what they expect and the progression of Romeo Dubs once we start to really see him in games, maybe this wide receiving core is not going to be the detriment to this team like many predicted to be, you know? Yeah, you know, Bill, and two guys you haven't mentioned, uh, Alan Lazard has looked really good at this camp. He's 
big and strong and, and appears to be ready to take over a starting spot as he did a year ago. And then um, Amari Rogers is a guy kind of underrated, kind of flying under the radar. But, boy, I tell you what, just watching him, his body language and that type of thing, uh, you know, I think this is a guy that certainly looks to me like he's ready to take that jump. That, that, that was going to be my next question because Amari Rogers kind of the forgotten guy that nobody really talked. Lazard, we all know he's he's got he's become highly acclaimed by Aaron Rodgers. He's a good route runner. There's nothing dynamic there, but he's just been extremely solid. Might be the best adjective to put alongside him. But Amari Rodgers could be an X factor in all of this. And I know you talk about his progression and maybe getting better. They say he looks, you know. I, then again, it's camp, but he looks better than he ever has in his life. He feels better than he ever has in his life. Does it show on the field? Does he look quicker? Does he look a little faster does he jump a little higher yes he does um all of those things i think he looks a lot better uh in this camp than we've seen in the past last year especially when it was still kind of figuring it all out but um he's much more confident bill just the way he's moving out there and yes he's quicker he looks to me a lot quicker out of the slot and um you know i think he is a guy that's ready we'll see but i think he is a guy that's going to get some reps in the preseason and then we'll see if he's ready to make that next jump. Um, you know, they're working him hard, of course, at the return game, punt returns. Romeo Dobbs is also seeing action as a punt returner. So um, I think they've got a lot of things at typical camp. They've got a lot of uh, areas they're trying to make decisions on. And part of it will stem from what these guys do in the preseason games. But most of it will stem from what they've done over the course of the whole camp and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that evaluation is ongoing. You talked about the special teams. I want to go back to that. We were hearing Rich Bisaccia not really happy with what the long snapper is bringing to the table right now, either of them, for, as a matter of fact, and throwing the gloves on today to try to show guys this is what I want and this is how I want it done on a consistent basis. Is there a genuine concern for the long snapping position on this team? It's not something we talk about a whole lot, but certainly we've seen it's beca- it becomes very important when you don't have a good one. Yeah, I know. It, it can show up. I- the best long snappers are the ones you don't even know their name. And, you know, you never hear about them during a game. But, um, you know, you're right. They, when, you, when you know who the long snapper is, uh, it's usually because it's not been going well. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see this. Jack Coco is an, um, a very uh, – oh, he's arrived here at kind of in a circuitous route. He um, – really didn't snap for punts uh, through college. He was a tight end last year at Georgia Tech, and, you know, they're, they're giving him a chance, and he's run out there with the first unit on a number of occasions the first couple of weeks of camp. So I think they're trying to see what they've got there, and, um, you know, maybe he can do the job. Who knows? Stephen Wartell, they know what they have there. Um, and, you know, you have to understand with specialists and special teams, um, they're looking at everybody around the league. So, uh, you know, somebody could come loose that they like and, and maybe they give them a shot. But um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But that's the, at the moment, yeah, that's a position of question that I think will help sort itself out uh, once we get to these uh, preseason games. Really, since maybe Randall Cobb, uh, Alan Rossum, I go back to those guys, and they were consistent returners. Is this team... Do they have a consistent returner on this team, Wayne, that you've seen? Or is this, again, going to be just we're going to trials and tribulations all throughout the season? Well, it's going to be, you know, like I said, we just talked about him. But I think, uh, you know, Amari Rogers could solve that problem um, on his own. Um, if not, Romeo Dobbs is a the guy they're going to look at at those positions, both 
punt and kick returner. So I think those are the guys that you look to that um, that might get a shot. Rico Gafford is another guy who could bring a dynamic dimension to the return game. Uh, but the problem is, is he going to make the team? And so, you know, it, all of this stuff is to be hashed out. And much of it, when you talk about these preseason games, I mean, obviously, this is not about starting unit guys. This is about the guys who are going to make up that bottom third of the roster. And they're going to have to play a big role based on where they are with special teams and, and some of the backup positions on offense and defense. Hey, uh, you bring up a good point, more of a thought, but, you know, I know that Matt LaFleur talked about guys and what they've been able to do away from the field when it comes to conditioning, and he was not happy with some of the conditioning that his team had uh, in the uh, family night game or scrimmage, if you want to call it that. So is have you, have you noticed a change towards that or uh, a stress point towards that? Because as much as we, you, you just talked about it, these guys are trying to not only make a team but get in shape for the regular season, but a lot of these starters aren't even going to play. So is that something that's become an emphasis for Matt LaFleur? I don't think he's concerned about the starters and about the guys who are penciled in to play a significant role, but uh, he felt some of the younger players that are trying to make the team um, – they may have been out of gas a little bit toward the end of that family night practice. So that was a little bit of a concern. But, uh, you know, he, he had a fairly solid practice yesterday. Did a lot of work yesterday. They got a lot of work in. More of a 90-minute practice kind of quick. So tomorrow they'll go a good couple of hours. Um, you know, eventually they'll have these guys where they want them uh, in, in terms of football shape. Talking with Wayne Larry, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, joining us uh, from Packers training camp. So, Wayne, uh, all eyes are on Jordan Love coming up on Friday night. Uh, how is he like? Because I know a lot of people say he looks great, he looks changed, he looks, you know. To me, until he starts throwing into those windows with anticipatory throws and doing it uh, on, a, on a dime and in a split second and really getting it between the ears, it, it, it doesn't mean a lot. So you tell me what you think you've seen so far out of uh, Jordan Love. I've seen a guy who's much improved um, in terms of his footwork, in terms of the confidence, the air he brings about him, in terms of the way he handles the huddle and that type of thing at the line of scrimmage especially. I see a big improvement, but you're right. I mean, we're going to have to wait for games. And, you know, there's only so much you can glean from a preseason game because understand this. Uh, he's not going up against a defense that is schemed to stop him. He's not going up against a large number of starters uh, that he would be seeing in the regular season. So it's going to be hard, but the, at the very least, you want him to play positive football. If he can do that in the preseason, I think they'll be happy. How will they truly know if, if and again, we don't know what the offseason is going to hold, and it's way too premature to start talking about it, but th it's always there. It's lurking. The big giant, uh, you know, ball of death of the end of the career of, of uh, Aaron Rodgers could come at any point in time if he decides and you got to know whether or not Jordan Love is the guy. Do, do you get a sense that they have a confidence in him, or do you think that they are still, after a few years, trying to figure out what he brings to the table? Well, that's interesting. I mean, probably not a good question for me, but for the uh, general manager, Brian Gutekunst, I, I think they're, they're still in the process of figuring all that out. Um, but I, I do think he's giving them some reason, a good reason for hope this year, uh, based on the way he looks at camp right now. So um, I still think he's... He's a guy that they're continuing to evaluate. I think these preseason games, and also when he gets into the practices against New Orleans. Next week is a very important week at camp with the Saints coming in. There will be two practices 
um, between the two squads, and that's really what both teams are looking for. That's almost more valuable and important than a preseason game. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I, I know it's tough because you're trying to absorb everything that's going on right here in our own backyard, but I wanted to ask you a little bit. We had uh, Paul Allen on the other day, and they were talking about they're trying to figure out the offensive line, but they feel really confident with their defense and their growth and some of the new guys coming in and the offensive weaponry they have. And some people are surprisingly saying that that is going to be the team that's really going to push the Packers for the top spot in the division. Now, we know injuries can always play a, a role in that, but give me your thoughts on what Minnesota has done and how close maybe you think they may or may not be to unseating the Packers in the NFC North. Um, well, they're, they kind of reloaded defensively. Um, the question marks I have on them defensively are not on the defensive front seven, but on the um, secondary, especially at the cornerback position. Some questions there. Um, I think that offensively they have excellent skill people. I mean, you know, you got Justin Jefferson, you have Dalvin Cook, um, Kirk Cousins puts big numbers on the board of the regular season, regardless of what he does in the postseason. But um, so they're the team. Yeah, I mean, on paper, Bill, at the start of the season, they're the team people are figuring is going to push the Packers in this division. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. But the team I keep hearing about a little bit as I did my research in the last month or so, the Detroit Lions could be a lot better than people are thinking. Um, and, you know, there's always two or three teams that come to a season that nobody's talking about and they have a terrific year. I'm not saying that's going to be Detroit, but they certainly have that feel, that look about them in Dan Campbell's second year. Hey, real quick before I let you go, the train wreck that is right now going on down in Chicago, Roko and Smith publicly calling out the front office. They've had their problems in Chicago, and I don't necessarily think they're going to put any pressure on the Packers, but give me your thoughts on the Bears and the direction they're heading right now. Yeah, um, you know, you would have liked to have seen them do a little bit more, at least on the offensive line and the offseason and free agency around that young quarterback. I think he's going to get really good um, tutelage from uh, Luke Getze uh, down there, and I think that's going to help Justin Fields a lot. But they don't have a lot around him, and they are in transition, and they're kind of where Detroit was about a year ago. So uh, I, I just I don't have a good feel that they're going to put any meaningful pressure on the Packers in this division. Um, and, you know, Roquan Smith's their best player, and they know that. And uh, they'll get something done with him because they have to. Um, he's the next great middle linebacker in their defense, and that's what Chicago is known for. Yep, no doubt. Wayne, great stuff. Get back to a training camp. We always appreciate your time, and I'll talk to you again soon, okay? All right, sounds good, Bill. Have a great call Friday night. There you go. The voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee, joining us for a couple of minutes, and I uh, always appreciate his time. Uh, up there at Packers training camp. We're out here in South Dakota, but uh, we make it work. Good stuff. Thanks to him for joining us for a few and giving us his thoughts as the Green Bay Packers go, so to speak. Let's do this. We're going to step away. We're going to take a quick break, come back. Bottom of the hour, we should be joined up here uh, by, and you'll, we'll put it up uh, on the camera as well, but our good friend uh, Jesse James Dupree, the band Jackal, they're going to take the stage on Thursday night. Their 30th anniversary show is coming up. We're going to be a part of it, too. I'm kind of excited about this, but... Uh, he's going to swing by, and he, uh, along with his uh, partners, own this place and uh, bring us out here and uh, are gracious enough to host us. So thanks to him for uh, allowing us to be a part of it, but more so for being a part of the show coming up on Thursday night before a sold-out crowd over at Full Throttle. I don't even know how many people that place holds. It's beyond thousands. 
I want to say maybe 10,000, 8,000, something like that. I mean, it, you can squeeze a ton of people back there. I have no idea, but it's it, it, maybe I'm way off on my estimate. I don't know. But I know that uh, last night it was thousands of people that were over there. And uh, they had Tesla. They've had Molly Hatchet. They've had numerous big bands. they got more coming in. But uh, the big show is coming up on Thursday night as Jackal takes the stage. Let's do this. We're going to step away, take a quick break. More out here in Sturgis, South Dakota, coming up right after this. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. The Bill Michael Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.